Hey, welcome back. It has been a while. I have been sick for a couple weeks. Also, I lost my voice at a prayer meeting the other night at our church. So I've been kind of waiting to uh, feel better and also to have a voice to talk to you with. That always helps when you are running a podcast to have a voice. So I have one. It's not 100% recovered, so it, but bear with me because <laughs> I have been wanting to share this with you guys so badly. It's been killing me. Um, so this is burning on my heart, and I am excited about what we're going to go through today. Welcome to the Intentional Christian Podcast where we live to glorify God on purpose. I'm your host, Matt Adams, and I am an intentional Christian. All right, I'm going to jump right into it. Christian, what is your job? I, I mean, like, do you, not where do you go to work every day, not how you make money, in fact, you're probably not going to make money from this very much. But what is your job as a Christian? Think of it like an occupation, okay? Someone hired you. You were a unbeliever. You were a non-employee. You were not an employee. And now you are an employee. Somebody hired you. Did you hire yourself? No, you did not. You did not hire yourself. Somebody hired you. They paid for you to work there in blood, literally, and now they've given you a job. So what's your job? What is your occupation as a believer? Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I got to confess, this is not something I am good at. Okay, so what is that? What is our job? We can easily know it because it is laid out very clearly. You know, the disciples asked this. Jesus preached this. And it was asked of him, what is the greatest commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And he said, what? The second one is like it. The second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, unfortunately, in our society, with all the patting on the back going on and all the self-esteem crap that is going on, that has been flipped on its head to say, well, you know, you must love yourself first. Because if you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor so you must pamper yourself. You must treat, put yourself first. You must buy yourself these nice things and be comfortable so that you know how to love your neighbor. I don't think that's what God had in mind. Okay, listen, let's back up a little bit. You shall love. Okay, let's think about this. You shall love the Lord your God. Who the, the Lord your God. With all your heart. Who do you love with all your heart? I'm guessing that it's probably your spouse and your children. 
maybe your parents or your girlfriend or boyfriend if you're younger or single. Maybe it's your brother or sister, your best friend. Who do you love with all your heart? You say, oh, I yearn my entire life, my entire heart, my soul. Every ounce of strength is going into loving this person. Every thought is consumed. Is that God? Is God the focus of all of that love and effort and desire and strength and your thoughts? And then who do we love? Who's next? It's not us. It's our neighbor. How much do you clothe yourself? How much money do you spend on yourself for comfortable shoes for work? I know, I just bought boots for work. And they were like, more money than I want to say on the radio. (laughs) What else do you buy for yourself to make yourself comfortable? Because we are supposed to love our neighbor in that way. Do we love them that much? We say, my heart hurts for you. I want to spend my money on you. I want to give you my time and my energy and my effort because that's what it means to love. I compiled a couple of verses here. Let me let me go through some of these verses. And I'm I'm telling you, I'm not trying to like guilt trip you about what work boots you bought. Like I said, I bought them and that's just that's part of our life and our culture and I'm going to get to a point at the end of this and I'm going to wrap it up and 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 then I'm going to leave it there. But I want to go through some of these verses because I'm seeing people on the internet, on Facebook, in my church, in my life, and they're they're really good at loving themselves. I'm really good at loving myself. Let's see, Matthew 24, 3. Matthew 24, 3 through 13. So uh, he Jesus sits down. He's talking to his disciples. They ask him what it's going to be like at the end of the age. Will we see you coming? You know, will you tell us? Are you going to give us a sign? And this is what Jesus says: I'm the Christ. They will lead you. Many will lead you astray. Right? Many obviously, many will lead you astray. And you'll you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. Um, for nation will rise against nation, right? That's obvious. Nations are rising against obvious. There'll be famines and earthquakes. These are all the beginning of birth pains, right? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Well, how about that? Okay, thank you. I want to be a Christian. Where's the job application I can sign immediately? They will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be what? Hated by all nations for my name's sake. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Doesn't that seem like the opposite of what we're trying to do? We're trying to be loved by everyone. Uh, Then many will fall away, right? And betray one another and hate one another because we're humans and we're full of sin, right? And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Now, here's where I want to land on this verse. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. The love 
of many will grow cold. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say we are in the end times. Well, if we're in the end times, whose love is going to grow cold? The majority. Most people. It's not the few. It's not like a couple people. Many, the love of many will grow cold. It's just going to slowly get colder and colder. And that is where we are living right now. Look around you. People's love is growing so cold. The church itself, it was on fire. It was going around, spreading the gospel, going to nations, planting churches, spreading like the Chinese church is spreading and other countries around the world that aren't getting credit, but they're spreading because of love, because they're willing to step out in faith and share the gospel. So what's happening right now? I just got to say, I, I am hurt. I'm embarrassed sometimes to be called a Christian, not because of my Lord not because of the God I serve, but because of my fellow believers. I'm going to name it. Look at this show called Game of Thrones. This is utter insanity. How can you possibly read scripture? You're reading in the New Testament. You're diving into this gospel-centered, Christ-centered word that's calling you to holiness and love and righteousness. And Jesus says, obey all that I've commanded you. And Paul says, don't even let sexual immorality be named among you. He's not saying don't even partake of it. Of course we don't partake of it. Of course we don't go to the temples and prostitutes and, you know, involve ourselves in these things. He's saying, don't even let it be named among you. Let me tell you, he is not just talking about listening to a dirty joke at work. He is talking about what you take into your home in your daily life. When you come home from work, what do you fill your soul with? Your eyes are the window to your soul. What are you taking in? 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay, what would that be? How about all the crap that's on TV? And we're not, we're not even talking about Game of Thrones here. We're talking about simple, worldly, anti-marriage, anti-children, anti-Christian stuff. Even just like their stuff. Their materialism, their shows, the way of life, their sexuality, all the things that they love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves those things, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot say, man, this show is so amazing. It has the most creative entertainment value and it's, it's telling a real story and the plot and all the, it doesn't matter. It's of the world and it's promoting sinful, unholy, impure acts. And you're just taking them in, drinking them. 
John 12, 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than they loved the glory that comes from God. I'm not taking this stuff out of context. And I am here to tell you that this probably means far more than I am making it. Okay? I'm not sitting here being crazy. I'm talking about, hey, this is like incest and sexual immorality and perversion and cursing and and all these things that the world loves. And we're celebrating it. Okay, that was kind of a tangent. But listen, this is what I want to get to. What does radical love look like? What does it look like? I don't actually have the answer for that. I really don't. But I'm trying to find it. I really want my life to look like it is supposed to, like God is calling me to live so let's 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 look at some of these verses. And I've just pulled out a tiny bit. I mean, I typed in love and I just clicked in the New Testament and it was like 235 verses. I was like, "Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to scratch the surface, okay? We're just going to look at a couple. 1 John 3:17. But if anyone has the world's goods, all right? So we have the world's goods, right? We have cars, houses, we have sinks, bathtubs, we have shoes and jackets and um, plates and recliners and couches and TVs. We have all these things that are around us to make us comfortable, right? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I'm not talking just about social justice here. I'm talking about the gospel. What is our job? What is our occupation as a Christian? Is it to infiltrate the world and um, hide ourselves, Like covert? We are on a mission and we're going to be the best spies ever because no one's going to even know we're Christians. It's going to be awesome. How about this? Ephesians 5.2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hmm. I mean, do we think like that? And we are so desensitized by worship songs. I'll say it. I'm a worship leader. They are desensitizing us. This Christian speak is desensitizing us. The Christian sermons we are listening to are desensitizing us. So the word offering and sacrifice mean absolutely nothing. What did Christ do for us? Did he come into Jerusalem? He bought a house and he got a car and he got a job and he said, you know what? I'm going to build relationships with everyone in my neighborhood and then I'm going to share the gospel with them. And then two years later, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, I know like three of my neighbors and I've had a barbecue, a neighborhood barbecue once. And, you know, I put out a sign for, uh, you know, the neighborhood get together every year. 
Uh, and you know, three or four people came out. I got to tell them I was a Christian. It was, it was good. I handed out, um, a little flyer for our church. Did he say, you know, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to just like really invest a relationship with my coworkers. And then in a year from now, I'm going to try to invite them to church. No. How about the disciples when Jesus called them? Jesus sent out the 72. He sent out, and and it wasn't just 72, guys. It was all the believers. It says, and those who were saved scattered and preached the gospel whenever they went. Who was scattered? The believers. The believers, the saints, the Christians. They preached the gospel wherever they went. Back to this sacrifice. To this People at this time in the Ephesian culture in Ephesus, they would have understood that sacrifice meant shedding blood. It wasn't a meaningless word. Jesus Christ offered his entire body, his life as a sacrifice. He shed his blood. And, and there's even a verse that says, yeah, okay, you've resisted sin, sure, whatever, uh-huh. Have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Have you, men, have you resisted temptation to the point of shedding blood? Because that's our job. Our job is to sacrifice everything. It is to sacrifice our very earthly life for God and others. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your body a sacrifice. John 15.19 Here's where it gets even harder, okay? Because it's one thing to just love the world in a radical way. It's another thing when that world turns on you. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, which you're not, right? You were bought with a price. You were purchased out of this world. You were made a new creation If you were of the world, the world would love you. Does the world love you? Is the world okay with your church? Is the world just like, ah, man, I love that guy. He's so nice and I just feel so good around him. The world would love you as its own. But... Because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because, I I believe it was (laughs) Ravenhill or Tozer. Have you no righteousness that reflects upon their corruption? When they come around you, they should feel guilty. I'm not saying that we want that all the time, but that's just how it should be because you don't accept their worldly jokes. You don't accept their worldly shows. You're confused when they reference Game of Thrones because you've never seen it. That is what it means. And then you go a step further and and you radically love them. The main 
primary way that we show love is by telling them and helping them to see that their soul is in jeopardy from a real hell. And when they see that and they feel it and they know that their soul is in a real state of distress, that makes them uncomfortable. And they only have two choices. They can either accept what you're saying, put their faith and hope and love and trust in Jesus, or they can ignore you, cast you out, and if you persist, persecute you. They really don't have any other choice because when you bring the light, the darkness flees. So the more darkness can be around you, the more darkness is comfortable around you, let me tell you, your flashlight is dim. My flashlight is dim. My candle is dim and I want it to be a bonfire. I want it to be a big, burning, passionate house that's on fire for Christ. And that's how we should be praying. So what? Then they persecute us, right? Matthew 5, I say to you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Man, that's hard. (laughs) That is so hard. I mean, I'm scared to even like talk to someone about God that is already my friend. (laughs) Imagine talking to your enemy. That is hard. But that's our job. That's what we're called to do. So we're called to be this incredible burst of light in the darkness. We're called to radically love, sacrificially giving our time, our money, our energy, our stuff, our kids, our family, our wives. We're called to give all that stuff as an offering, holy and acceptable to God, For the sake of his name, loving our neighbor. Why? Not for our sake, not for the neighbor's sake, but for God's sake. John 12, 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Man, that's a smack in the face right there to all the the, uh, self-esteemers and the the people that say you got to love yourself first and then You can love your neighbor. Listen, man, firemen do not get halfway into a burning building and then turn around and say, I can't go another step because I have children and a wife. They risk their lives. They push forward to save others. And they go in with their buddies for that grandma and that grandpa and that family who are burning and hurting and they're going down. And there are children who have lost their parents and they don't look up and say, man, I wish my dad was never a firefighter. But they look to their dad and they say, man, my dad gave his life so that others could live. That is the legacy we want others to follow. That's the legacy we want to leave behind. It's saying, I don't care what happens I am going to go. I am going to be obedient. I want my children to see a man who sacrificially loves his neighbor and loves God so much that he would be persecuted, 
even unto death. Let me tell you, God will get glory. I don't know what love looks like in our culture, in America. I'm so desensitized. I have all these wrong pictures that I've grown up seeing in different churches and on TV. and in, I, I'll be the first to admit it. But when I see people sitting comfortably in their houses every day, day after day, watching TV or just, you know, hanging out, going out to eat at restaurants, and the entire world around them is going to hell, and the Bible is calling us to love our enemies, and it's saying if you were of the world, it wouldn't love you, but you're not of this world, and so therefore the world hates you. That doesn't jive. Why does the world love me so much? Why does the world like you so much? Are we not doing what we've been called to do? It's confusing. And, and because it's confusing, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what we're supposed to give up or how much, so we kind of just don't do anything. I want to give, give you an analogy. When I was thinking about this, this movie popped into my head, and I just, I'm thinking about this, uh, this movie, The Princess Bride. And, and, and just put any movie in this place, but, but you know, you have Wesley, and, you know, he's on this farm. He's working for Buttercup. They fall in love. It's so dramatic. And they just, whatever. Now, she gets kidnapped. And, and trust me, I'm just literally going off my memory. I haven't watched this movie in so long, so I don't know. But the analogy still stands. She gets kidnapped. She goes off. You know, the, 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 those guys, the pirates or whatever they're called, have her. And I just picture Wesley back on the farm. You know, he's writing her letters. Princess Buttercup or whatever. Uh, I love you so much. I can't wait to have you in my arms someday when the pirates return you to me. Until then, you know, I've got the fields. They need plowing and tilling, and, and then the harvest is going to come, and you know, the cows, they need to be milked, and this house, it's going to crumble if I don't maintain it, and you know, the dog needs to be fed, so I must remain here until we meet again. Homies say, what? You, you'd be like, what are you talking about? That's not love. You didn't love her. You just said you loved her. <laughs> You can't just say it. You can't just write it. What's the whole movie? The whole movie is this man who is passionately in love with someone. And he crosses every sea and faces every peril. And he fights giants because he loves her. Because he has to save her. And what's he going to do if he can't? He's going to die trying. What if he just got halfway across the field and, and he came up to a barbed wire fence? And, and there's some guy's standing there and he's like, dude, your, your chick is over on the other side, man. Are you going to cross the fence or what? He's like, ah, oh, you know what? That fence looks awfully sharp. I think I might tear my clothes or prick my fingers. I really can't cross that fence. That's not love. So again, I don't know what it means 
truly to love my neighbor and to passionately, deeply love God. But I do know that I'm not even close. I'm not even close. Okay, so I got to that point over the last couple weeks of just saying, I'm not even close. And I started thinking about my life. I I started asking, why am I not close? Why am I not loving people the way that the Bible talks about love? Why does my life look nothing like Scripture? And yet I'm supposed to be an example? So I analyzed my life, just starting thinking about things. And I'm like, I, I can't love people. I have a job. I have to get up at, you know, 6 a.m. and get ready for work. And then I drive to work. And then I'm at work all day long. And I'm in and out of people's houses. And I'm not really allowed to share the gospel with them because they're clients. And then I come home. And it's late and I've been working all night and I'm so tired and exhausted. And, and most nights of the week, my wife has planned something that we go and do, whether it's, you know, eat at someone's house or they come to our house or I go to the church or um, dance class or gymnastics or, you know, you name it. And then I come home and I crash and I go to bed and it starts all over. And I have one day off and that one day off is taken up by my house. I have to mow the lawn. I have to fix things. And then half the time I have to go do things either at the church or with people. And I'm like, man, I I can't even love. I can't even take time off for people. I can't even meet with people to hear their heart and to shepherd them. And I can't go into the city and, and share the gospel because I don't have free time even to wrestle with my kids. And I've been taught that I'm supposed to put my family first. And so I'm supposed to wrestle with my kids and do family worship with them. And then I'm supposed to have date night and I'm supposed to, you know, keep my car washed and have maintenance on that, which I have not washed my car in the entire time I've owned it. And it's like, when am I supposed to do all this stuff? I can't even love people if I wanted to. And I'm willing to bet that your life is the same. I'm willing to bet that you, as well as I, have created a life that makes it almost impossible to love people. That's interesting to think about, isn't it? Are we even able to do the job that God has called us to do. Are you free enough to do that? And if you are, hey, that's awesome. I'm not judging anyone. I'm not condemning you. I'm simply holding up my personal life up to scripture and saying, I don't measure up. I don't believe I'm giving God glory. I'm not maximizing my life for God's glory. And in fact, I'm not even able to. You know, about the biggest sacrifice that I make is that I, I don't have TV at my house. I, and my co- I, I work for a TV company and my coworkers are just blown away. My clients, they're just like, what? You don't even have TV? And that's awkward. But I'm not loving people in that. That is minuscule compared to our occupation, our job as Christians. Take some time 
Be quiet for a little bit. Just sit there and think about all the ways that your life and your structures are preventing you from loving people. And let's you and I, I mean, I mean this, like email me, please email me ideas or things that you've done. I mean, I don't want to spend my life with this podcast um, rebuking. No, I want to exhort. I want to build up. I want to edify. I want to say, good job. You did it, man. You sacrificed something. You love people. You're doing it. That's what I want. I want to get on here and give you a testimony that says, man, I just sacrificed this and I was able to do this and I was able to radically love this person. That's what we want. We want to rejoice with one another. We want to come together as a body at our church and and pray for one another and say, man, I believe prayer works. Let's come together and let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for wisdom. What in our life should we be cutting out? What should we be selling? What should we get rid of, man? This is just for my comfort. This is actually hurting my soul. When is the last time you loved somebody so much that you were persecuted for it? For me, I can honestly say it was never And I was a missionary in an almost completely Muslim people group. I've never even come close to loving someone so much or sharing my faith or defending my God that someone has even made fun of me. And I know that there are those of you listening that have. You've lost things. You've lost jobs. Amen. Amen. The New Testament Christians gathered and they they rejoiced in their suffering. They They were boasting in the things that they lost for the sake of Christ. And it hurts me. It pains me when When I talk about going to the mission field and people say, you can't go. What about your children? What about your wife? What if something happens? So what if something happens? So what if we give up our life? That's our job. Christ gave himself for us and we are to love him and love people in the same way. Man, I've heard people say that there are so many missionaries or this country just needs the nationals to go spread the gospel. Man, that is not true. That is the devil trying to get us to stop doing our job and to focus in on ourselves. Man, praise God if every single church in America went across the ocean to share the gospel, who cares? So many people are arguing about the theology and they're writing letters to Buttercup instead of going and giving their life for her. So I'm not telling you what radical, Christ-centered, sacrificial love means and what it looks like in your life, but I am telling you that I can guarantee without even knowing you that you are not even close and neither am I 
So let's change that. Let's pick apart the things in our life that are holding us back. Let's pray and seek after God and read the word day in and day out until we start to look like we are supposed to, till we start to act like Christians, till we love God with all our mind, our heart, our body, our soul, our strength, and pray, God, that we would love our neighbor as ourself, that we would treat others better, that we would hold them more valuable, that they would be more precious than our very own lives. I'm going to pray right now. Father, we cry out to you. We are a broken people, and we need your love because we cannot do this without you. We need your spirit dwelling inside of us because we cannot do this without your Holy Spirit empowering us. Radical love is not found in this world, so we're not going to get it by anything this world has to offer. Would you help us to pick apart our lives? Would you give us wisdom to see the things that are stopping us from being bold and radical and sacrificial and giving with everything we are? Would you help us not to care when people say we're stupid or crazy or that we need to be putting our family first? Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with strength and courage, God. Would you help us to put you first? Your glory. Help us to love you with all our souls, with the burning passion that would cause us to rise up early in the morning and spend time in your word, pouring over it and letting these words become real like sacrifice and offering and giving. And they wouldn't become just Christianese terms that we sing them week after week and they mean absolutely nothing, but that they would mean something and that your word would be fresh and it would stir us and cause us to love people and to change our lives and to radically give up everything for the sake of the gospel, to take up our cross and follow you, to sacrifice ourselves. These are the words that the apostles and you use. May they not just be theology. Holy Spirit, fill us up. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Christian, go today into your workplace and radically love your coworkers. Go throughout your day and radically love your children. Be patient, kind, good, generous, loving, self-giving, self-sacrificing, full of grace and mercy. And take some time to think about your life pick it apart, and, and really put in place ways that you can love God and love others to maximize God's glory in this world. Amen?